Welcome to the Open House podcast site, available at openhousecommunity.com.au. I'm going to confess straight up with this conversation that it represents one of my hobby horses with the Christian faith, which is very often dominated by lots of activity, activism, achievements, many of which we bring you on Open House. It's all fine, very often great, if, and it's a huge if, it's founded on love. In fact, the great Apostle Paul says, and he was a real activist in the context of speaking in tongues, without love, I'm a noisy, clanging gong, which is both pretty useless and pretty annoying. Bob Goff has written a book called Love Does. It shows what can happen when we let love do the talking, when we do instead of plan, act instead of strategize. Bob himself has lived a life of action, seizing all the opportunities he can, saying yes anytime, anywhere. And he has some powerful stories of love in action to tell. How else do you explain, for instance, a man who was thrown from his car in an accident and sent flowers to the lady who hit him? Or a lawyer whose business card simply reads, Helper. Bob says action as a result of love has a greater impact on life than anything else. Bob Goff, welcome to Open House. Hey, thanks a million for having me on. I appreciate it. Thanks, Bob. Great to have you with us. Bob, at what stage of your life did you actually get this, the centrality of love in the Christian faith? Because that's not always a given, is it? Yeah, it sure isn't. As a matter of fact, maybe the way that uh, you grew up in faith uh, was parallel to mine. I went to Bible studies and uh, you know, I've, I've looked at Scripture, and I believe that it's true, and I still believe it's true. But what I would do, because I think because I'm a lawyer by training, I memorize things really well. So I was memorizing the names of, you know, wedding feasts and who's somebody else's cousin, and I could tell you how many boats were on the Sea of Galilee. <laughs> but while I could memorize all that stuff, I didn't do anything. And so I don't know if you've ever been stalked, and I guess if a stalker was any good at it, you wouldn't know. But, like, stalkers are these people that, like, get all these facts about you that they're not supposed to have, but they don't, like, do anything. And I honestly felt like there was one day when I realized, oh, my gosh, I'm stalking Jesus. I'm just, like, finding out all these facts about him and memorizing them, but I'm not doing anything. And I think I was creeping me and God out. (laughs) (laughs) What a way to put it. Can you remember what that event was or that moment was that turned your thinking around? You know what it was is there's a group of guys, and this is 15 years later, and I still meet with these guys every Friday, but we used to have a Bible study, and I just decided I'm not doing that anymore. No more Bible studies. I got all the information I need. We still meet around the inspired Word of God. We read Scripture, and we call it a Bible doing. And there's a huge difference in that for me, because we say we just don't read stuff and memorize it and agree, because there wasn't a single time where Jesus asked his disciples just to agree with him. They said, let's go do stuff. And we don't do it because God will think we're swell, because he already thinks we're swell. Our picture's already in his wallet. But we do stuff because we just want to, you know, you kind of leak what you love. You just start... Being, if you are falling in love with Jesus, you start doing stuff. If I memorized a bunch of stuff, it's my 26-year anniversary today, the to Sweet Maria. And I spent, I've been loving her for 29, 
and uh, she's still working on liking me back. <laughs> but if I just found out like how to say brunette in the Greek and Hebrew, and then I found out some facts about this little village called Los Angeles that she grew up in, but I didn't do this thing called a date, they have a name for guys like that. They're called bachelors, right? <laughs> so <laughs> I just said, I just want to go start doing stuff. Yeah. Um, and then read the stuff in the inspired Word of God and then say, okay, now what are we going to go do about that? And it's taken us to some pretty crazy places, just like your listeners. It's taken them to the same places. Yes, I'm sure that's right. I think it's a healthy corrective for many people, ministers in the Christian community, not to be so focused on plans and programs but they do dominate a lot of Christian faith today. Yeah, the problem with my plans, I don't know about you, but the problem with mine is that they work. And then I get these puny little returns that come with my plans. Um, but this idea of, like, they, when you were a kid, did you ever, like, when you're testing the waters, you put a toe in to see, you know, what it's like? Oh, yeah. And then there's the other version where you grab your knees and you just do a cannonball. <laughs> yeah. And I just think faith at some point turns into a little bit more like a cannonball for some of us. We just grab our knees and we just say, I'm just going to do stuff and I'm going to look for evidence of Jesus. That's how Acts 1-1 started. Theophilus, lover of God, look for many convincing proofs that Jesus is still alive, which is perfect for a lawyer. It sounds like dusting for fingerprints. So I've been looking for fingerprints of Jesus everywhere. Why do you think our faith is often so dominated by plans and programs, Bob? I think it's because it's safe. You get a chalkboard and you say, okay, you do this and I'll do this. And, you know, and it's all good. It's, I'm not throwing that under the bus. It's just that we, at some point we need to throw the chalkboard out the window and just say, or put it, take it with us. I do all my best thinking on an airplane, you know, at 40,000 feet going 700 miles an hour and as much as I can write on the back of a barf bag, you know, like, that's what we want to go do. And then you go, because I got the information, and you do too, and your listeners do, and you love Jesus, so let's go do stuff. Mind you, planning isn't always a bad thing to do. I agree, 100%. As a matter of fact, it's a really good thing to do on the way to do something. You know what I mean? Yes. So if I just planned to date Maria, and I thought about it, and I thought about it, and I figured out who was going to wait at the table, and what I was going to order, and what I'd wear, and all that jazz, but I never got around to asking her out, and then going, picking her up, and going, we wouldn't have three kids, and a great story to tell. Bob, if we see the Christian faith as love does, as you're urging us to think, there is a danger that we'll be only focused on what we do, and perhaps think we can work our way to heaven or to God's approval. Yeah, I totally get that. And, you know, you eat too much pasta, you're going to get fat. Mm. You know, like there's going to be some things that are going to follow from other things. So if you say, if it's all about doing and, uh, you know, somebody will say we're human beings, not just doing. And, and I agree, prayer is important and time sitting quietly alone at the feet of Jesus is important. So all of that said... For those of us that are saying it resonates that we just need to get about doing some stuff and all that other stuff, let's sit at the feet of Christ, but then let's go do something about what we've learned while we were there. It's all of the above. It's not like either or. Yes. It can actually be quite liberating because love is also as much an attitude as an activity. Agreed, 100%. And you know what? Love isn't efficient. Like, uh, you know, there, there's a, uh, 
if if I was trying to get Maria like me and I let all these store-bought Hallmark cards do all the talking for me, uh, but I didn't invest anything in it, it just it would be really efficient. But she'd say, buddy, is that your best game? Like, that's how much you love me? Because if that's your best deal, then I don't know if you're the guy I had in mind. But Jesus has already told us, we're the people he had in mind. There's no plan B. And he just said to his disciples, go two by two and go do stuff. And then come back, and I love when they returned, they told Jesus all the things they'd seen and learned. And your point is that it can actually be quite spontaneous. It doesn't have to be planned to within an inch of its life. Totally. We have a New Year's Day parade in our block, and we started it when the kids were probably, you know, just bigger than trout. And we decided the only rule for this parade would be this that everybody has to be in it, nobody can watch. Isn't that great? (laughs) So there was like six of us at the first year we did it, 17 years ago, and we all walked down, and one of the six was the queen, and we walked, you know, eight houses down to our front yard where it ended. Now, 17 years later, there's hundreds of people. There are bagpipe players. There's, like, fire trucks, police cars. By the time they all line up, we're almost there. And, like, the whole idea is still everybody in, nobody watching. Mm. And I feel like in some ways that would be a great small picture of the Christian faith. Everybody in, nobody watching. Yeah. Bob, I'm interested that you see whimsy, as you put it, in God's love. What do you mean by that, and how's that look? You know, it's that unlikely. It's the, I'll give you an example. There's a neighbor that lives across the street from us, and this was five years ago. We used to own that house. So when, you know, when we sold the house to her, we were kind of picking who our neighbor was going to be. We weren't picking just a buyer. And her name's Carol, and she's older and widowed. And, and so she moved in, and I call her all the time on the phone just to check in on her. And uh, this last year I called her, and she said, Bob, I've got some bad news. I've got cancer, and uh, it just doesn't look good. And I said, Carol, I am never calling you on the phone again. And she paused and says, well, like, how come? And I went down to the store and I bought us two walkie-talkies. And I put one next to her bed, and I put the other walkie-talkie next to my bed across the street. And so for this whole last year, we've been talking on the walkie-talkies. Because love isn't efficient that way. And when we call at night, we're not, like, neither one of us has cancer. We're just talking. We're 14 years old, and we're up in tree forts. That's whimsy. And you know the coolest part about that? I got a call from her last month, and Carol said she called in the morning on the walkie-talkie, and she said, Bob, I just got back from the doctor, and guess what? I don't have cancer anymore. What? And you know what? The walkie-talkies didn't fix her. She just wasn't afraid anymore. Whimsy makes you not afraid anymore, and that's, I think, Part of that idea of Jesus walking out to some guys in a small boat and say, be not afraid, or God tapping Joshua on the shoulder saying, you're the guy. And Joshua wants to say, I'm not the guy, but he says, be not afraid. Like over and over again, those are the words that God speaks to us. And that, in my way of thinking, is kind of a whimsy. It's God saying, you know what? You don't have to be afraid anymore. You can do the cannonball. Yes. On Open House, we're with Bob Goff, the author of Love Does. Bob, can I ask you this overarching question? How do you exactly think the love of God turns into action? You know what it is? You get swept away. When I, was, uh, when I met Maria, 
And that's the best example I can think of of love, because we've, each of your listeners, you, me, everybody, we've experienced love at some point. You meet a person that you really like. I met Maria like a week before Valentine's Day. And so I was just swept away with her immediately. And so I made her this huge Valentine. It was the size of a pickup truck. It was eight (laughs) feet long and four feet tall. And I made this huge Valentine that went inside this huge envelope I'd made. I borrowed a guy's pickup truck and went down to this high rise where she works. And I went up the elevator with this envelope in this huge crazy valentine and it just said will you be my valentine i wanted to say will you be my wife but i was going to wait till week two for that so i went up and out i popped and all of her office mates come out and they see this crazy guy standing with a gigantic stupid valentine and when maria came around the corner she was mortified she wouldn't talk to me for six months can you believe that yes yes she was so freaked out but you know what i knew where she parked her car and so every morning for the next six months i made her a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and i put it under her windshield wiper And I still have no idea why I did that. But that's what love does. You just do stuff. You don't know why you're doing it other than you've been collided. You've just collided with something that has changed your whole life. And that's Jesus. And and then you just start doing these whimsical, unlikely things. And you're really not sure what the return address is. But some of these things that we do is we're leaking Jesus. It's the, it has the aroma of Christ. We do it because we've met someone and it's changed everything. It does take time though, doesn't it? And it does mean that we have to be bothered and available to follow that whimsy. Oh, you bet. Like I, I fly to Uganda every 60 days and, uh, and we chase bad guys. We use the laws of the country of Uganda and people that do bad things to kids, we do bad things to them using Uganda's legal system. So we've taken many, many cases to trial, uh, even capital cases to trial. And so like that whole idea that, uh, you know, it isn't just all like silliness and balloons and all that, but it's, it's all the above. It's the whimsy of love. It's the seriousness of, you know, how God views justice and he's just nuts about kids he doesn't seem to like lawyers very much which puts me in a hole but he loves justice and he's nuts about kids so it takes a lot of effort but when you love somebody i didn't think it was a project when i was making that big valentine i was like making it for the person i loved as i said your book has lots of stories with this love in action can you perhaps take us through two of your top favorites bob there's a guy. Did you, did you have a buddy when you were growing up playing pranks on you all the time? Like, you know, you'd do a prank on him and he'd do a prank on you. Yep. <laughs> I know I exactly what you mean, he, actually. Oh, there's a soft target. His name was Doug. And Doug made the mistake. We've been buddies since we were in junior high school. And he made the mistake of telling me after he got married, he told me where he was spending his 10th year anniversary. Oh, and he'd rented out the, like, top suite of this big fancy hotel. And, and, you know, you can look out. The elevators open up in the room. You got the picture? Yeah, it's yeah. that cool. Yeah. So 
I took Sweet Maria, and we checked in as them. <laughs> we went early. And so we got there. We went in because the room's paid for already. We went up to the room, and we got there, and I ordered room service. I got lobster and creme brulee, and we danced. I ordered second. They brought dessert. It was on fire. I don't even know what it was, but I ordered two. And so, and so the whole idea is we tidied up after we had this great meal uh, at their expense. We, we tidied up, and we left. And the next day, when Doug had spent the night there, he went to check out, and he had this $400 bill from me. <laughs> Who needs a friend like that? Yeah. Well, I think he's been trying to get back at me for, like, years, but he can't because I'm a lawyer. So I get this call from this guy, and he says, he, with his really heavy accent, he says, I'm the ambassador from Uganda, and I want to know if you'll be counsel for the Republic of Uganda. I said, I covered the phone. I said, Maria, it's Doug. He's on the phone. He says he's the ambassador, and he wants me to be the counsel, the lawyer for Uganda. So I said, yes. I said, like, absolutely. I'd love to be your lawyer. Because I just thought this was a, you know, prank, and it was going to go its way. Well, he said, I'm leaving for Uganda. I'll be back in two months, and I'm aware of all the stuff you're doing. That's why we want you to be our counsel. So I'll call you in two months. I said, great, awesome. So two months later, the phone rings again, and it, it, this guy says, this is the ambassador from Uganda again, and you need to meet me in New York. And so I said, yes. So now I'm getting off a plane in New York, wow. thinking Doug has just royally gotten me back for the lobster dinner at the hotel. <laughs> but I get to the end of the ramp, and there's all these people from Uganda's cabinet there. And this big guy comes running over, and he says, I'm the ambassador of Uganda. And I said, of oh, course you are. Nice. And he introduces me to them as the new consul. Like, and I said, you said counsel like lawyer. And he said, no, no, no. I said consul like diplomat. Yes, yes, and yes. so oh, get this. Goodness. I'm the consul for the Republic of Uganda <laughs> and have been now for years. I'm, it, if you saw me, I don't look Ugandan. And so the craziest part about this, you get some awesome license plates. You can park anywhere. I could park in your garage with these license plates. And you get another card. This is the best part. You've got to be the consul after the radio show. Go be the consul for any country because you get a card that gives you diplomatic immunity. Oh, I know How about cool that. Yes. That? Yeah, that's terrific. No kidding. Yeah. I could kill you. So. <laughs> So here's the deal. Like, when we get in this adventure with Jesus, we think we're saying yes to one thing, and often we're really saying yes to something entirely different, because he doesn't bring us on a business trip. It's an adventure. He isn't choreographing for the disciples, we're going to do this, and this is where we're going to stay, and this is where we'll go, and this is who we'll meet. Instead, he just says, follow me. And I love that about Jesus. And that is, it's wrecked my career. Because instead of just practicing law, I see this as a day job now. And I say, like, what can we go do to move the needle in people's lives? What a liberating thing that is. I'll tell you the last one that uh, occurs to me. There was a guy that I uh, met in high school. I was going to drop out because I wasn't a very good high school student and moved to Yosemite. And they have these big, you know, rock walls you can climb there. And if you looked at me, you'd laugh because I do not look like a rock climber. But I had in my mind that I was a rock climber. So there was this guy that had been hanging around the high school and he had like a beard and a motorcycle and a girlfriend. He had like everything I didn't have. Um, and I, I realized later this guy is too old to be in high school. He's this Christian guy with an outfit called Young Life that's trying to 
meet high school kids. So I was I kept them at a distance because I didn't want to have anything to do with this Christian stuff. But I decided I was going to move to Yosemite. So on a Sunday morning, I drove by his house, and I knocked on the door. And it took a little while for him to get there, but he came to the front door, and I said, Hey, Randy, I've decided school isn't for me. I'm going to just quit and move to Yosemite. And um, I just wanted to say thanks for being a great friend. Uh, you know, I'm not interested in the Christian stuff, but appreciated you being a good friend. And he stood there looking kind of puzzled at me, but he didn't talk to me like my folks. He just said, you know, have, have you thought this through? And it, uh, I said, yeah. And I said, he asked me when I was going to leave. And I said, well, right now my car's like right there and it's all packed. So he said, hang on a second. And he went in the back room and took a long couple minutes. But when he came out, he had his backpack over one arm and a sleeping bag under his other arm. And he just said this. He just said, hey, I'm with you. And so I said, you, you're going to move? You're going to, like, go with me to Yosemite? And he said, I'm with you. Like, we'll just get you settled in. I'll take a bus back. So he hops in the car with me. We drive there. And I look around and can't get a job for a couple days. And I get kind of discouraged. But Randy didn't talk to me like my folks would. He just said, Bob, I'm with you. You can do this thing. I'm with you. And when I reached the decision that, you know, it isn't going to work out, I'm not going to get a job, I think I'll just go back and finish up high school, he didn't tell me, like, I told you so, or what a dumb idea it was, or anything. He just kept saying the same thing, hey, man, I'm just with you. So we drive all the way back six or eight hours, and we pull down the street where he lives, and his girlfriend was over visiting, I guess, because her car was in the driveway, and I walk in behind Randy into his living room, and on the ground are these dishes, and there's a microwave and some tissue paper and wrapping paper, and I knew it wasn't his birthday, it wasn't Christmas, and I thought to myself, like, I wonder what's up, and then it dawns on me that on Saturday, Randy got married, and on Sunday morning, this high school kid shows up on his doorstep uh, about to jump the tracks, and I can't even imagine what conversation that Randy had with his new bride in the back room. But he was with me, and the reason I'm a Christian is because of a guy like Randy, because he showed me, well, probably the name that God picked for himself, Emmanuel, God with us. He just said he showed me that love doesn't just talk about it like love does. Love gets in the car and says, I'm with you. Yeah. Wonderful stories. Uh, You've been walking this way in your life for years as a lawyer, Bob. How is it? strengthen your faith? What's it done to your faith personally, do you think? You know what it does? Uh, like, I uh, get on Twitter in the morning, where most people will talk about having a quiet time. I'll just think, what is it that Scripture's talking about? About faith, or my pride, or hope, or joy, or fear? And I'll just do a tweet in the morning, and I'll do a tweet in the afternoon about that, because nobody wants to know if I'm eating a piece of pizza. Um, but I just say, what do I think? And Matthew 15 said that Jesus never spoke to anybody without telling them a story, and I feel like a tweet is almost like a ten-word story. Yes. And so what I found with my career, my day job, is that I can't write a tweet about how good God is, and how great people are, and how we should be doing this and that, and then go start cussing at some lawyer on the other side, because it would be so two-faced. It would be so discontinuous with what I'm trying to do with the rest of my life. And so bookending my day with those kinds of practices has helped me so much in the middle parts. Yeah. It's just like that's been the most practical thing 
that we aren't just talking about stuff, but that we're like letting it like seep in and like we're just twirling it around like a little Rubik's Cube during the day. Because I'm thinking about an idea and then I'm not going to say something untoward to another person who might not be the most friendly person because I'm thinking, man, I don't want to like say that at one o'clock and then say something swell at three. So that's been one practical thing for me. Are there other practical things that you can suggest for people who might have heard our conversation tonight and think, yep, I want to embrace this. I want my life to be different like this from this day. What could they start doing? How could they start thinking afresh? I'll give you a real practical one. Yeah. Every single Thursday, I quit something. Isn't that great? <laughs> Every single Thursday. And you don't have to quit something you know, big. You can pick something small if you want. Don't quit eating broccoli or something silly. <laughs> but, like, but like, quit something. Like, I gave notice at my office. I have this great office. And the landlord asked me, like, so why are you, like, leaving? And I said, hey, it's Thursday. I quit stuff on Thursday. <laughs> quit perfectly good stuff. And it makes margin in your life for God to just, like, bring other incredible stuff in. You can quit. Like, if you're in a a marriage and you have a bad marriage, guess what? You can't quit. You just need to figure it out and lean into it. But if you're dating somebody and there's a gal and she's a listener right now and you're dating some guy and he's not the right date, just break up with him. It's Thursday. You know, when he says, why did you break up with me? You don't have to give him a list of the 20 correct reasons why you broke up. Just tell him it's Thursday. I quit something every Thursday. And I Bob quit said. You. <laughs> but you could quit something. Like, uh, if your career, like, there's a lot of people that are afraid of losing their job. and But I think there's more people that are afraid of keeping it. Like, that they would be stuck in this job that isn't them anymore. And I'm telling you, just uh, you don't even need to wait till Thursday, but next Thursday, quit. And like, create the margin, trusting that Jesus is going to suck something really good in. And I don't say that from the cheap seats. I'm the guy that quits something every single Thursday. And really good stuff, too, to make room for God to bring even better stuff in. You're an absolute inspiration. You've got great wisdom and wonderful life experience. And I think the message of love does is one for all of us. Bob Goff, it's been such a joy chatting with you. Thank you so much indeed for sparing the time for us on Open House. Hey, and thank you for having me. This was a real treat. We hope you enjoyed this Open House podcast. Thanks to Christian Super and Real World Technology Solutions. To hear more from Open House, visit openhousecommunity.com.au.